Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the pastor study. Um, as you know, we are uh, taking uh, going to be taking a couple weeks off, just out of abundance of a caution, uh, <clears throat> with the uh, COVID thing going on. And so we're going to be doing uh, online church here for the next couple of weeks. And um, and so uh, I'll be doing some recording inside uh, my office studio, um, so to speak. Uh, <clears throat> so this is, um, you know, going to be just a, not quite uh, as long as maybe what we're, we're used to in church. And I, I can see some of you rejoicing about that right now, aren't you? I, I know. Okay. Uh, so this is actually pre-recorded. This is not live. I'm recording this on Saturday. And uh, so hopefully what that does is going to really make sure that there's not going to be any speed bumps in in uh, the streaming of it or putting it online or anything like that because it's going to be been put on um, a lot sooner so uh, so that's exciting so we'll look at the positive things that this will bring to us okay there shouldn't be any buffer problems or anything like that and you should get a, a clear um, uh, message uh, today uh, Ben has put uh, some worship on for us so that's exciting we're thankful for that so we're just gonna uh, continue our walk through uh, what we've been talking about about prophets and kings in the Old Testament and um, to get started uh, it's important to know that uh, the Bible is a very uh, powerful, supernatural, and prophetic book. Um, I have my notes over here, so I'm kind of glancing back and forth. Uh, this way seems to be the best as far as the light, so you're not blinded by the light coming off of my forehead and blinding you. That's not the kind of light you want to see. Okay, um, so the Bible is a very... Uh, like I said, powerful, supernatural record of God uh, de in his dealings with mankind. Uh, it is full of prophecies throughout, and some have been fulfilled, and some are waiting to be fulfilled. And so um, we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks this idea of of uh, prophets and, and kings and, and, and all of that sort of thing. And so we're, we're moving uh, uh, on from the starting from the divided kingdom. Now, there were prophets before that. Uh, there were uh, Nathan was a prophet to uh, David and also Solomon during Solomon's time. Uh, Nathan was was as well as Samuel uh, to Saul, and so uh, but Nathan. Uh, so let's start. Let's go backwards to Samuel and Saul. So we know that um, Samuel was anointed king because the people wanted a king. It's interesting. I'm going to show you one of the prophetic things of of the Bible uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. Verse or excuse me, chapter seventeen, starting in verse um, fourteen. Uh, Deuteronomy is a book that um, <coughs> excuse me. Deuteronomy is a book that um, Moses was kind of rehashing everything. Right, he he knows he's his time is short and he's going to be moving on, and so uh, Deuteronomy is full of a lot of rehearsing of, of the law and rehearsing of history and stuff like that too. But there's also some things in there that are. are that are uh, prophetic as well, uh, meaning that they're they're going to happen. And so in chapter 17, starting in verse 14, this is what we get. Uh, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you 
I will set a king over me like all the nations. Excuse me. And you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. Um, you surely, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen uh, shall set a king over yourselves. You shall not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Uh, moreover, you shall not multiply horses for your, himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, and he shall write for himself a copy of the law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, by carefully observing the words of the law and these statutes. This his heart may not be lifted up, excuse me, that his heart may not be lifted up above his country, and that he may return, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in the kingdom in the midst of Israel. Okay, so this is... This is something prophetic that Moses is is throwing out there about what's going to happen at some time. And so there was never, uh, you know, God's intention <clears throat> for them to have an earthly king rule over themselves. Uh, and even in there, it says, um, it, it says what we just read is that they, um, they wanted to be like the other nations of the earth to get a king. And so when we go to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and, and you can look that up yourself, you see that that's just... Be what begins to happen. So we've come out of this period of judges, right? <clears throat> From the book of Judges and and, uh, and and Joshua's time, and judges were were judging Israel. And so Samuel was getting ready to retire. Um, his sons are taking over, but they find out that his sons aren't really just like he was. And so then the people are going to say, hey, we want a king to rule over us like the other nations. And Samuel's like, man, how can you ask something like that? This is this is not good. This is not cool. And that's when the Lord come in, comes in and says, hey, let them, let this happen. Uh, you know, this is, we're, we're going to let this happen is what the Lord says. <clears throat> and so as they're uh, moving in that direction, and even Samuel in, in First uh, Samuel eight is telling them about everything that the king's going to do. He's going to take your, he's going to take your daughter. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your lands and all these different kinds of things. And they're all finally gets the list of everything that the king will do. And they get to him in and say, "Hey, that we want that. That's what we want, right? Okay." And so all this is is from the heart of the people. This is what the people want. They didn't want to be ruled by God. They wanted to be ruled by a king. It's kind of similar of that setup when we go back to, to Exodus when they're coming to the mountain. Uh, <coughs> I think it's Exodus 19, around there. Where they're coming to the mountain, they, they have consecrated themselves for three days, and God is on the mountain and coming down and just descending in the cloud and the thunder and the lightning, and they're like all freaked out about this. And Moses is like, you know, let's go meet God, right? Uh, they have to be reverent, uh, but... Uh, they're like, we're not going anywhere. They're like, Moses, you go. You, you, whatever God tells you, we will do. And so as that has kind of set a whole thing in motion in, in the heart of mankind as well, too. Because, you know, people are basically the same when it comes to their heart. You know, there's this thing out there that people are basically good. And I no, I, I don't believe that at all. Um, I believe what the Bible says is that the heart is deceitfully wicked. 
So goodness is not necessarily pre-programmed into the human heart. Uh, you we're born into sin, and so sin is what naturally will play, it safe, play itself out into the heart of, of mankind. Usually starts with selfishness and then goes on from there. Now, it doesn't always mean that it's going to manifest itself out in all of the the wickedness of the world. You know what I mean? In, in that sense, like, not everybody is going to become uh, this horrible, wickedest person who ever lived in comparison of of dictators and mass murderers and stuff like that. And that's kind of like the thing that we judge things by. But the reality of it is, is that sin is sin. Um, and the greatest deception is to think that you're okay without the grace of God. Because, you know, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as this guy. And, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I I, I, I can be selfish sometimes. But I try to I try to give a little more in the offering, you know, if I feel like I've been selfish that week. And so you're setting the bar for yourself far lower than the bar has been established from God's perspective. And that's what's dangerous. And so God's perspective is his holiness. Simple as that. The, the bar that we have to attain to is the holiness of God, and no one can do that. We were born broken, and so we can never measure up. As I've always said in, in years past, and I say today, that imperfection can never please perfection, which is why perfection had to come down uh, for imperfection, live perfect, die perfect, so that imperfection would be perfected through perfection's work. Now, I'm not going to repeat that. It's pretty good. I got through it just like that. So anyway, all that's saying is that Jesus was perfect. He came perfect. Uh, he lived perfect. He died perfect uh, to satisfy uh, the holy requirements that God had laid down through his law to be in relationship with him. Nobody could live that way. You can fool yourself into thinking you can live that way, but you you really can't live that way. And so... All this means is that <clears throat> when the wickedness in the heart of mankind is always seeking to do something that's outside of the relational aspect that God has desired to have with mankind. So God has has taken care, uh, has, has done the work at making sure that mankind can be in fellowship with him, the Father, through what the Father has provided as a sacrifice of his Son, who was perfect, so that we could come across that bridge, which is the cross, into the presence of the Father. And so we stop at the cross, we kneel at the cross, our sin is on the cross, and we walk through into the presence of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit that resides in us. Okay. Now, what does the Holy Spirit come to do? Well, the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and unrighteousness, and right, and then what does it do? It lifts up the name of Jesus Christ as the the cure uh, for sin and unrighteousness, which is a sacrifice, and it, it brings Jesus to the forefront of everything. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, and He does that through giftings. He does that through uh, He does that through power. He does that through mercy and comforting and grace. There is there is. The, the Holy Spirit has uh, a myriad of different ways to do what he's called to do. And so, um, and he empowers those who have accepted uh, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He is the down payment of the promised land further. He is the, the presence of Almighty God within us, okay? And so the Holy Spirit has, is not short on things to do on this earth. And he does it perfectly. And so he, he lifts up the name of Jesus Christ, uh, to people who don't know him through being invested in the hearts of people who do know him who will proclaim that gospel. And this is why, 
you know, sometimes when you the Bible says when you're coming uh, uh, before kings and you don't know what to say, don't don't worry about it because the Holy Spirit is going to speak through you because you are going to be the testimony of the life and of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is going to bring that through your mouth. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. It doesn't mean you don't study. It doesn't mean you don't read the word. We've already talked about that in the past services. You absolutely have to. But all this stuff is in here and the Holy Spirit uh, in times of evangelism, if you'll let him and submit to him and surrender to him in times of evangelism and in times of persecution will bring the words out of your mouth to touch the hearts of those that don't know Jesus. So kind of a long way around the block. <clears throat> but as we're looking at this, we see that uh, that Moses is, is giving these people a prophetic thing. It's like, hey, listen, uh, this is what's going to happen. And when this happens, here's what's going to Here's how it's going to play out. So when we're looking at Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, there's some things that came out, right? Um, when he's talking about the, the the king and stuff like that, and doing some research and looking at a, a, a commentaries and stuff like that, here's some things that have been brought out that I think are, are really good that, to share with you. And, and one is... Um, is that uh, is about the king the king is not something the people choose the king is something that god chooses so god chose saul god chose david and god chose solomon <clears throat> right so uh now we know solomon had a choice uh and he was disobedient but he had a chance but he blew it right uh, so after that whole fiasco, God says, I found a man after my own heart. He brings in David, right? Uh, and David is, when we talked about this a couple weeks ago about, uh, good kings and evil kings, and there were good, good kings, and there were evil, evil kings, and there were good kings that turned evil. There was maybe one king that was evil and turned good and stuff like that throughout the two different nations. And with Israel, it was all bad, bad. Jehu may have started out good, but he ended bad, right? So, uh, but all every other king was evil, evil for Israel. <clears throat> so, uh, in looking at all, and we're going to explain why that happened. So, in looking at all this, um, so the king, God is going to choose the king, right? That's going to rule over over the people. It's not going to be a foreigner. That's for one. Uh, it's not going to be somebody from outside. It's going to be somebody that God is going to raise up from the inside. Um, and he also says to them here, he's like, um, uh, he's like, uh, moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. So uh, what that simply means is is that you know you're not going to. Uh, in one of the commentaries I was looking at, the horses were a sign of, of, of a military. And so what he's saying is, is you're not going to amass massive military and all that different kinds of stuff. And you're not going to make alliances with other nations, especially Egypt, which you were brought out of, to amass some type of military uh, presence for yourself or anything like that. Because the king that God is desiring to bring up, even though they're saying we want a king to rule over us like all the other nations, it's not God's desire for them to have the same kind of king that the other nations have, right? <clears throat> so, uh, in in looking through all this, so uh, it would also require you know making treaties with other nations that God does not want Israel to have treaties with. Um, other is uh, we talked about that no aligning with Egypt. Um, the other thing is, is do not multiply wives, right? He's not supposed to, he shall not multiply wives for himself. Um, it's like, wow. <laughs> Some of the stuff is just like, you, you go hundreds of years down the road looking in different books and seeing what they're doing. It's like, God is really explaining to them <clears throat> what, uh, 
because he understands the the hardness and the sickness of sin in man's heart and and because he knows everything he's saying listen uh, don't do these things um so uh do not multiply your wives uh, again that would require alliances from other nations what they would do is in alliances is give each other a pharaoh may give his daughter away in marriage or the uh, Hittites or whoever else, the other kind of ites that are surrounding Israel, uh, you know, if they're going to make alliances, they would give a daughter in marriage uh, to the king that they're going to make a treaty of. Um, and so, <clears throat> this would require treaties with nations that God does not want to have. Um, also, uh, these other nations are following other gods, right? And God is God's pretty big at at not having any other idols in in the life of Israel. I, you know, God's still the same. He's still pretty big today about us not having idols in our heart. Now, when you when you think about this, your body is now. There's no longer the temple that is made by human hands. It is now the temple. Our body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit because it resides in us. And and we still have a choice like these people did back here. We have the same choice as Saul had. You know, Saul was either going to be obedient to what God had called him to do, or Saul was going to be disobedient. And we know that he was disobedient. It's the same choice you have today, except now this is your temple, and the Spirit of God dwells in it. And the question we ask ourselves is, are we bringing idols into this temple? And and we'll kind of talk about that here a little bit more. Um so do not multiply wives because they will take your heart away from the Lord and you will follow uh, other gods. And you're not to also increase silver or gold for himself. Why is that? Why is it wrong for him to amass silver or gold? Let me make sure I read that right. Uh, yeah, you're not to, nor shall he increase silver and gold for himself. The reason for that is, too, it's like, uh, I think it's simple when Jesus said, hey, listen, where your heart is, there your treasure is. Reverse it. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. You know, the amassing of silver and gold and everything that that means. I mean, you take it today. Um, excuse me. I'm I'm doing this on my phone, so I don't know if you see it, but sometimes things come down, and that's why I reach and pop it up. But anyway, so where your heart is, there your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Uh, <clears throat> when you start looking and putting your faith and trust in things that are perishable, that, that have no no meaning for in other words you're laying up for yourself treasures here on earth instead of treasures in heaven right and all of your hope you're, you're working so hard for things that are temporal instead of things that are eternal this is the kind of thing that, that god is saying it's like i don't want he doesn't want his people to be so concerned about the temporal he wants people to be concerned about the eternal remember the tagline of our church Kingdom Life Community Church, living intentionally for eternity, which means that we're not here as a group of people. We're not here to amass a bunch of wealth for ourselves. We're here to do the kingdom things that matter to God and matter to eternity, right? And so when you're coming into leadership here, you're becoming called to become a king. These are some of the things that God is talking about, the type of king that he wants to have over Israel, if indeed Israel wants to have a king. And that is, listen, the, let's go over those those things again, right? It's going to be a king he chooses. He's not going to uh, multiply horses or, you know, trust in the power of themselves by amassing a mighty military, right? Um, they're not going to go and make allegiances with other nations militarily, m multiplying other horses. Um, 
They're not supposed to multiply their wives, especially because of those wives coming from other nations of the earth that will bring in foreign gods and that will turn the heart of a king away from the Lord into towards those people, a.k.a. Solomon. That's exactly what happened. Um, and so uh, you're no increase in gold or silver for yourself because you're not to be trusting in things that are temporal. You need to be the kind of person that's going to, to understand things that are eternal. So the king is leading the people uh, in 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 all things, right? He's over he's over the kingdom in the sense of of economics, in the sense of culture, and all that different kind of stuff. The priest, on the other hand, is in charge of the is the spiritual thermostat of the people, and so the the prophet and the the prophet slash priest and the king should be working in tandem, which means that there's never supposed to be a separation between the spiritual, and the things that you're doing on earth. It, it's supposed to be working in unity together. And so in the Old Testament, we have two people that are doing it. There's the priest that does the priest things. There's the king that does the king things. Jesus is the only thing that's combined as both, as well as Melchizedek, which is where the priesthood of Jesus comes from. And so Jesus is the only one that is the priest and king together. And so... Um, as we're looking through all this, uh, for the purpose, uh, the reason he, oh, this is this is good. Sorry, I was looking ahead. Uh, he must write himself a copy of the law in the presence of the priest. This is the guy who's going to become king. So that's that's probably not an easy thing to do. It's going to take some time, right? And so he's doing it uh, by the with the priest right there. Uh, for, I wonder what reason that would be. Probably to make sure that he doesn't copy down anything wrong or he doesn't add or subtract anything. It's not about what he agrees with or disagrees with. It's about the law of God. And the priest is making sure that everything is written down the way it's supposed to be written down. And the, the king is supposed to have this so that he can rule by it. Okay? And the purpose is so that he will remain in the fear of the Lord, not the fear of people. See, Saul was being run by the fear of man, not the fear of the Lord. David was being run by the fear of the Lord. Still did dumb things, but came back to repent. <clears throat> so as we're, Solomon started off really good, drastic things with the Lord, but... This whole wives thing and everything that he did took his heart away from the Lord in his latter years. And so he did not finish strong. And because he did not finish strong and because um, his heart was turning away from the Lord and turning towards the gods of foreign lands, that, I believe, is how he, why he began to deal, how he began to deal with so harshly with his own people and his own countrymen. Because he wasn't dealing with them uh, with a heart towards that should have been towards the Lord. He was acting like foreign kings and treating people as just almost cattle to do his business or, or anything like that. And so then we get to the divided kingdom, right? Solomon dies and you've got Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And we've talked about this a little bit. But see, the kingdom, <clears throat> I don't believe it was ever God's intention for the kingdom to be divided, but because of the hardness of man's heart, here you go again. Um, God is allowing things to happen because sometimes it's only through brokenness that things can be set right again. And I, I think we've all noticed that maybe sometimes in our own life. It's not that, it's not that God loves suffering. It's just that sometimes, whether it be our heart or, or whatever reasons, many more of the reasons is that sometimes we learn some things a little bit clearer through some suffering that we go through. As long as we keep our heart towards the Lord in the midst of all things. Okay. 
So you have, we talked about 1 Samuel 8. <clears throat> now we're going to walk over here just a little bit, and we're going to look at, uh, continue on uh, uh, 1 Kings, looking at the bottom of chapter 12, starting in probably verse 25. We talked about how Jer Jeroboam was in Egypt because uh, he got a prophecy that the kingdom was going to be divided and that it was going to happen after uh, Solomon died. And so Solomon found out about it, was going to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam took off running. He's in Egypt, right? Hiding out. Finally, Solomon dies. Uh, Rehoboam, his son, is going to take over. They have the conversation, be nicer to the people. The people are asking him to be nice and not hard like his father. He has two people that he listens to, elders who are wise and tell them, be gentle. Young people who are like, Make it harder for him. Rule by force, right? Stuff like that instead of by love. <clears throat> well, he chooses what the younger guys say, and then there—that's where the division happened. You have, you have ten tribes that go um, uh, into Israel, and you have the one tribe of Judah. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's one of those things where something comes down, and you have one of those, and you have the the tribe of Judah. Um, <clears throat> Now, uh, when, when we look at this, um, as this begins to happen, it came when uh, it came that when uh, in verse twenty, it came about when Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, um, that they sent and called him. Excuse me, I think I'm going to sneeze. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, they set him. They called him to the assembly and made him king over Israel, but none of the tribe of Judah followed the house of David. Rehoboam had come to Jerusalem in verse 21, assembled the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. So Rehoboam is basically going to round up about 180,000 guys, yeah, and they're going to go into Israel and they're going to they're going to make these people submit. And here's the power of a prophet. Even though Rehoboam is not necessarily a righteous guy or a righteous king, there's still something about the power that a prophet holds. Even uh, <clears throat> even Ahab understood this a little bit. Um, that when the prophet comes to him, uh, Shemaiah, I think that's his name, he speaks to Rehoboam and he says uh, that um, the king of, excuse me, speak to Rehoboam, and all the house of Judah and Benjamin to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord, you must not go up and fight against your relatives, the sons of Israel will return every under his house. And, they, and that's what they basically do. Now, Jeroboam has a chance here, I guess, right? Jeroboam has a chance to be a good king. Uh, you know, he, he got that prophecy from, from, a, from a prophet, you know, this is going to happen. And so whenever you receive this, that, that prophecy, you're going to have a choice. And the choice that you're going to have is, is how you're going to respond to it. This is, this is the part of prophecy that is conditional on the part of the person. So God can give you a prophetic word, and it's not like God's word will not be performed, but it becomes conditional to whether you accept it as to whether it'll be performed through you, right? And so, <clears throat> excuse me, as we're looking through this, uh, Jeroboam um, is going to uh, the Bible, verse 25, here's where it gets good, and, and we're going to end pretty quick after this. Jeroboam built the Shechem uh, uh, in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there, and he went out from there and built uh, Peniel. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. 
If these people go up to offer sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of the people will return to the Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted and made two golden calves. And he said to them, Is it too much for you to go up to the Jerusalem? Behold, your gods, Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so let's just stop right there. Any of this sound familiar to you? This is why the heart of mankind is 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 going to repeat its its deception and its sin this is this is what we call the sin of jeroboam and it becomes repeated in in different places throughout the bible from prophets this is where it really starts because jeroboam uh, instead of listening to the lord is listening to is is under that same fear of man and he's afraid that if these people go to Jerusalem which is in Judah to offer sacrifices that the heart will turn back there and they'll want to be united. And so because of that he's going to create an entirely different religious system and a different class of of gods these golden calves now we had one in exodus and now all of a sudden we're making two and we're going to say these are the gods that brought you up out of the land of egypt and israel now <clears throat> has become this nation with an entirely false uh religious system and so in this what they're doing is listen he's going to set one in bethel and the other in dan and this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made houses in high places and made priests from among all the people who were not the sons of Levi. So now, who are supposed to be the priests? People from the tribe of Levi, which is why they don't have a portion of land. So you're saying, Steve, you've been talking about this divided kingdom, but 10 and 1, that's 11. What happened to the 12th? 12th one, that's Levi, and he doesn't have land. He's They're, they're ministers, right? That's where you get your priests from. All right, so... When you're looking at all, at all this, this, is an entirely... And so now he's going to start anointing people who just want to be priests and they'll just along... Does any of this sound familiar to you at all? When you look at the the state of where uh, the church is... And remember what I told you, what I felt the Lord said to me um, uh, last Thursday. Not... Yeah, last Thursday. When I talked... I, I really felt when I was in prayer that the Lord was saying that uh, the divided kingdom here is that the church is divided, right? And that our church is divided over so many different things. You know, we're divided over um, denomin denominationally. We're divided over theology. We're divided over evangelical versus charismatic. We're divided over so many. And, and from that, we're divided Pentecostal from charismatic. There's so many different divisional lines within what is supposed to be called the church that it becomes hard we're acting more like a divided kingdom than we are what we're supposed to be operating in through john 17 which is unity and, and oneness and so because of that i really felt the lord say to me is that the church has the has the power at this time to either be as divided as israel was or if they will come out from all this silly minor stuff that is not major doctrine that divides them then they will walk in a a type of unity a type of oneness that has rarely been expressed on the earth and at this time if we'll do this we'll also walk in some of the greatest power ever to be produced through the church and i think this season needs it and so we're studying this stuff to say like who 
what's right? How should we be acting in times like this? Should we be living in fear? Should we be hiding out in caves? No. We should be we should have the word of God in us. We should be reading the word of God. We should be giving testimonies of Jesus uh, of what he and and operating in power. That that doesn't mean that again there's stuff going around on the earth. There's viruses and all this different kinds of stuff. That doesn't it doesn't mean you're 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 throwing everything away. Listen, follow Jesus. If 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 they ask you to wear a mask, well wear a mask. You can still talk about Jesus. That that, that you know what I'm saying here. Don't be so concerned with things that are temporal that you're missing the opportunity of what's eternal, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay? Live united under what is the most important when it comes to uh, the kingdom. Okay? We have far more things we can be united over than we do what we divide ourselves over. And when we divide ourselves over stupid stuff, we lose power. We're not in unity. Okay? And so, uh, all right, I think what we'll do is we're going to close the book on that for right now. Uh, and so uh, just remember these things. You know, how does this apply to this, the sin of Jeroboam? Well, Jeroboam put high places that people, he created a false sense of worship. He created a false religion. We see some of that in the world today. Don't be deceived by powerless religion. Remember, the Lord is always desiring to be in relationship with you. And all that means is just surrender. It comes to the place where you're just like, God, it's all yours. I'm all yours, whatever you want. Crush what needs to be crushed. Move out of the way what needs out of the way so that what is in here can be pure and undefiled and all for you. It's as simple as that. So don't just let yourself be deceived by uh, what Paul would say, another gospel, which is not really another gospel. Uh, A gospel without power, a message without relationship or transformation. Don't be deceived by that. You won't be if you're living in relationship with the one true and living God. Okay, so next week we'll continue. We'll, we'll be doing online next week as well too, and then we'll go from there as to, as to what happens next. So uh, bless you. Uh, be praying over this stuff. I'm praying for you. I know you're praying for me, and uh, we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.